Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 97 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us tonight, you may know him from his contributions to the Evolution of Horror podcast, Mr. Brad Hansen. Brad, hello. Hi guys, how's it going? Are you enjoying isolation? <laughs> enjoying might be a bit of a strong term, but I'm adapting, I would say. I'm thriving. <laughs> really? Really? What's your secret? Just watch as many shit horror films as possible until time and logic loses all sense of meaning and purpose. Love it. I'm struggling a little bit. I do that thing where I just stand in front of my DVDs for, I don't know, about half an hour. Just impossible choices. And that's when you should always immediately pick Troll 2. Well, yeah, I was going to say that leads us on nicely. Brad, I can't believe it's taken 97 episodes for someone to finally take us to Nilbog, but it's you. You've stepped up. The call was issued and I answered. Like, <laughs> it, it was, you know, I, I sent you a list of what I wanted to defend and it was, it was long. It, it, had a, it had a few that I wanted to go out to bat for. But when I re- realised, because I, I almost put Troll 2 in as like a wishful thing, because I went through uh, your past episodes uh-huh. and I was like, surely someone's done Troll 2. And I, I got down to like 30 and I was like, still no one's picked it. But I'll just, I'll suggest it just in case it probably was one of the first episodes you guys probably ever recorded. But no, no, no one has stepped up and, t- and taken the bit between the teeth and said, you know what? Troll 2 is all right. It is a bit of an undertaking. Why this one? <laughs> Great question to start off. Why would I pick Troll 2? Troll 2 is lightning in the in a bottle. <laughs> it can only exist and can only be made with the people that made it in the time that it was made like it's just a perfect sum of like actors writing direction cinematography plot everything coming together in this beautiful maelstrom where they fucked every single aspect up but it's perfect like i wouldn't change a beat of it (laughs) Uh, there's nothing i would change there's no fact to this film it's eminently watchable but fucking awful. I'm not going to argue with that. I, I do believe this film to be eminently watchable. I have watched it countless times. Um, in fact, I've watched it a couple of times with you, Mitch, prior to this. Which we have, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even more amazing to me that it has never been an episode, even an episode where it's just myself and you. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I'm surprised we haven't touched on it before. I, I kind of see where you're coming from, Brad, to be honest. like Basically, like obviously, I think that on virtually no level is this a good film. <laughs> but also, it is this weird and weirdly appealing combination of elements. Yeah. It's like watching a car crash right before your eyes. Yeah, in a, a car crash that takes uh, 94 minutes. <laughs> Which some would argue is too long. But, you know, for me, like, it just... It, from the first scene, the tone is set. And it's so unintentional how preposterous the film is and how stilted and awkward every line delivery and dialogue is, that you can't wait to see what they say next. (laughs) (laughs) You can't possibly top, you know, like, the mother kind of reeling off, you know, it was hard for me, it was hard for you, it's hard for your father, it was hard for your sister, it was hard for me, his daughter. (laughs) Like... (laughs) the worst line reading delivery ever and also a thing that no human being would actually say but i want to know what she's saying next because i guarantee it's going to be just as fucking weird as that um i i use that litmus test for dialogue a lot that whole um uh wait no hang on that's not a thing a human would say like uh that's my kind of that's my kind of benchmark quite a lot of the time and like that alarm sounded in my head basically anytime anyone opened their mouths in this there's not a line of believable dialogue. No, exactly. <laughs> it's important to remember that the dialogue is written entirely by Italians, delivered by Americans, but the Italian director, Claudio Fragasso, 
was absolutely steadfast in his refusal to let anyone change a name. single line of dialogue. Because he was like, this is how Americans talk. Because he would know. Sure, well, I, yeah. <laughs> so, Brad, uh, I believe you've listened before. You might know what's coming next. Unbelievably, there may be some people that are uh, listening to this episode uh, that have not seen Troll 2. I would story. urge those people to stop and go watch the film first. Yeah, I would say that's probably wise. But, um, Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Of course we do, Mitch, of course. Brad, in the event that people don't heed the very sage advice that we're given here and do go on ahead after this point without having watched the film, are you prepared to give us a 30-second synopsis of Troll 2? It won't even take 30 seconds, but yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. Uh, we follow a family as they go to look for uh, to go to do a uh, exchange program for a month with some country living folk. Now the the son in the family has an imaginary friend who happens to be his dead grandfather. His dead grandfather acts as a compass and allows him to navigate the awkward town of Nilbog, which may or may not be another word spelled backwards. <laughs> at, at, at that point, uh, the family are consistently Time. requested to eat. Is that 30 seconds? Yes, 30 seconds, man. Third, Disappears third, fast. Third, yep. oh, I spent too long on the dead grandfather. <laughs> yeah. to, 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 to be fair, it is the chief... Well, I was going to say it's the chief curiosity of the film. It's certainly in the top three. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, there's plenty to worry about in this film. But yeah, that is one of them. There you go. They're, they're constantly being told to eat. <laughs> yeah, they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and they constantly say yes to the weird green food that they're offered with absolutely no kind of suspicion or no follow-up questions, no queries as to why it's that colour. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if someone offers me green water, I'm immediately going to drink it because I'll just assume it's Gatorade or some milk. <laughs> All the food, without exception in this film, is fucking foul-looking. Oh, it looks rank as fuck, doesn't it? <laughs> Like a scone with green toothpaste on it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> There's a point gross. where the sister is like about to eat a corn on the cob that just seems to have this big slab of green butter on the top, like the, like the chocolate on top of an eclair. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, and obviously they're very good at standing in entirely still during that, th weirdly, 30 seconds that he gets to uh, spoil the dinner. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how much spoilers you want to do, but... We will leave no spoilery stone unturned between uh, in the next I mean, hour or so. There's so many question marks about that scene because they've just turned up. Everyone that they've just exchanged with the weird family, who are very fucking weird, have all got uh, four-leaf clover tattoos. Uh, no, um, moles like birthmarks or moles of some ilk. Yeah, and then they come into the house and they're like, they were really rude. And then they find a plate of, like a, a spread of food and they're like, southern hospitality. <laughs> it's like. Well, they were rude a minute ago. <laughs> and yeah, as you say, this food is so fucking weird. Like, why anyone would eat anything that's offered to them at this point. Grandpa Seth says, listen here, though, kid. Don't make him eat. I won't explain why. <laughs> they can't eat this food. And he's like, you've got 30 seconds to stop the family from eating it. And the next logical step, rather than that 30 seconds to quickly throw all the food away, is to drop trout and piss all over the, all the food. Yep. Which, That's what I would do. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, fair enough. The kid was thinking on his feet, but yeah, it was a hell of a choice. <laughs> it was on the fly, you know, quite literally. Yeah, yeah. I think that we should uh, we should probably ground this a little bit in the fact that uh, we are introduced to Joshua, our main character, um, mm -hmm. uh, pre a pre precocious child. He's having a story read to him by Grandpa Seth at the start of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, telling us a story about the courageous uh, Peter. Courageous, but not necessarily smart. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Peter's dressed as Robin Hood here. Yeah. Uh, yep. And it's at this point, he's running through the forest. He's chased by goblins, crucially goblins and not trolls. Yeah, there's no trolls to be found. They never mentioned the word troll in the film at all. No, not a single thing. <laughs> Well, the film was originally going to be called Goblins, um, but they thought That's they would right, capitalise yeah. on the success of John Carl Buchler's Troll. I, seemed... I'm really hoping that you put success in air quotes I did. there. Yeah, yeah. Because that film didn't do great. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's frankly not great. But uh, uh, yeah, they, they thought that no. this, is the, this is the ticket to success. It, it wasn't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we realise at this point that the, the narrator is Grandpa Seth. What we don't realise at this point yet is that he's dead. He's telling the story to Joshua, and the credits give us our first look at the goblins that we're going to see a lot of over the next hour and a half. Yeah. They kind of do the reverse Jaws thing, where, you know, they waited an hour to show the shark. The goblins are in the fucking shop by, like, the first 15 seconds. Yeah, and yeah, our goblins here, they vary in quality from, okay, uh, I know the original mask from Troll is in there somewhere, but, I mean, they vary from that mask to 
frankly terrible. And Mitch, I know we've talked about that one that they kind of start off with near the back and then it's front and centre in every fucking shot towards the end. Yeah, like you say, some of them look better than others. And you can tell that the ones that basically kind of look like they're just wearing kind of like burlap sacks are the ones that are kind of stashed to the back. Peter's revived after he, he's kind of knocked out and he's revived by a beautiful woman who inexplicably has freckles drawn in pen on her face terrible yeah she feeds him green slime and this is the first instance of people eating weird green food without a trace of suspicion it'll become the calling card of the film i think uh, yeah but it's it harks back to a simpler time when you trusted your neighbor in my opinion <laughs> True. You know, people left their back doors unlocked you know it was fine people would you know come in and borrow a cup of sugar would offer you weird green fucking porridge like this is just what happened in the 80s and 90s <laughs> halcyon days every time at this point uh peter starts sweating green which uh grandpa seth describes as being the color of goblins the goblins are transparently pink but (laughs) he says it's chlorophyll chlorophyll green yeah 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 it's at this point that we cut back to reality and uh diana uh the mother of the family who we'll talk about in a sec comes in and at this point we realize that seth is dead and uh, the story has been told by the specter of grandpa seth who uh joshua has been seeing periodically since his death six months ago by the way she's not in the least bit put out at the fact that the rocking chair is rocking of its own accord oh no 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 that's fine nothing to worry about there diana the actress who plays her has this kind of glaze the entire time. Mm, yeah, she's not a well lady, I don't think. And I don't know if anyone's seen Best Worst Movie. I know you have, Brad. She pops up in Best Worst Movie, and yeah, the years haven't been kind to her. I think she's uh, quite ill. There's, there's quite a few instances. Uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but we'll come, we'll circle back. But a lot of the cast members kind of having some fundamental mental health issues. I'm not saying the film caused them. I think they were probably there beforehand. But I'm not saying the film didn't exacerbate them okay, in sure. any way. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So I haven't seen uh, Best Worst Movie. I think now might be a good time to mention this as well. So Michael Stevenson, the actor who played Joshua in this, went on to make a documentary about this. I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming... So you're saying that both of you have. I'm assuming that uh, this kind of gives a little peek behind the curtain into some of the kind of possibly darker or kind of more sinister elements of this. It's a really interesting one. Um, it kind of flits between being like wholesomely heartwarming, depending on which character you're mm-hmm. focusing on in the film, to kind of lordish and outlandish when you're dealing with the Italians and how like kind of preposterous even now they are, sort of two decades later. To so, some, you know, quite tragic and sad portrayals of these people that kind of found themselves almost falling into this film and never maybe potentially leaving it or leaving a part of themselves in the film. It's quite an interesting. Like George Hardy, who plays the, the the dad, is like amazing, wholesome value, like just lovable yeah. and sweet. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people involved in it that kind of have darker paths taken. Yeah, Troll Two being kind of like this this thing that indelibly connects them all and connects them with the audience that either loves this film or hates this film. Right. Okay. One of my favorite kind of language barrier lines of dialogue comes up at this point. Mm-hmm. When uh, Diana is talking to uh, Joshua and basically explaining that he needs to move past his grandpa's death and kind of try and get on with his life. But uh, she says, Grandpa Seth remains in all our hearts, but you must banish him from your mind. <laughs> be gone. <laughs> That's a pretty harsh thing for the daughter of the dead man to be saying. Yes, I agree. He also asks his mum at this point if goblins exist, which not knowing the first half of the story must sound really weird to her out of context. Yeah, but it's a, you know, he's a precocious young child. I'm sure he's just curious about the world, you know. Next thing it'll be the birds and the bees, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a classic one-two punch for the parenting questions. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the goblins? And also, where do babies come from? <laughs> are babies goblins? Follow-up question. <laughs> question. Question 2B. We get a very brief introduction, very brief introduction to Holly, uh, the sister of the family, uh, in a very short workout <laughs> montage. Yep, she's a fan of Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp and the Smurfs, judging from the, the montage of things scattered around her bedroom. A woman of complex taste. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And finally, the patriarch of the weights, Michael, who is on the phone explaining that they are about to take a vacation to uh, Nilbog. Yeah. Uh, Nilbo- Nilbog apparently frequently misspelled on VHS covers for this film as Nilborg. <laughs> yep. Which famously is Groblin backwards. <laughs> oh yes, those pesky Groblins. <laughs> um, uh, population 26, Mitch. 
Yep, I really love the incredibly uh, generic business chat that he has on the phone. You're obviously supposed to understand that he's a very important businessman and his time sure, is very yeah. valuable. <laughs> but um, I really like the fact that he's just like, yes, I'm going to Nobog. It's going to be great. Can you take care of that business while I'm gone? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that business. <laughs> I think he's a contract killer. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's being like deliberately vague. Exactly. He's like, can you take care of that business? And he's like, in Moscow? He's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not about the president of Ukraine. Yeah, it's like, maybe Boris will meet with a small accident. Diana voices concern know. about Josh here because he's seeing, uh, he's seeing a dead man. Um, and he's, she's roundly laughed out the room for uh, her concerns. Typical supportive husband in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it's very, it's very um, take your mother inside. She's hysterical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's surrounded by what he must perceive to be crazy people because seconds later, and apropos of nothing, Diana asks him a similar question. Who are the goblins? The goblins? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's just like out of absolute thin fucking air. Like, if, <laughs> if, if your partner turned to you right now and was just like, who are the leprechauns? You'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Where's that come from? We were talking about what we were having for dinner. Well, sorry. <laughs> to his credit, he yeah. hasn't a fucking clue. He's quite dismissive of everything, so he's just like the goblin. I don't fucking, I don't, know. I don't know who the goblins are. Moving on, <laughs> <laughs> just pat her on the head, really fucking condescendingly, and just, just fuck off to your bed. Was like for the last oh. time, Diana? I don't fucking know. Okay, <laughs> you ask me this every night, and every night I tell you the same thing. They are a prog rock band from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we get we meet Elliot here. He climbs in Holly's window. Uh, Elliot, Holly's uh, perpetually horny boyfriend. But horny for who? Well, these are the questions. <laughs> he puts um, up with a lot. He's a bit of a cock. <laughs> he's a uh, total yeah. cock. Um, he uh, comes in and gets kicked in the balls for his trouble. And at this point, the film, in what I think is a fairly egregious mistake, uh, conflates homosexuality with being a eunuch. Yep. Because uh, completely the opposite, really. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm, uh, she's like, uh, oh, are you? Once she kicks him in the balls and he hits the deck, he says something like, "Are you trying to turn me gay or something like that?" And into a homo. Yes. Yeah. And then and then <laughs> she's sick. and then she's like, oh, my dad would do that. He'd cut off your nuts. I was like, what are any of you talking about? She says, my dad would. He can't stand you. He can't cut off your tiny little nuts and eat them. <laughs> Yeah, they seem to think that he's an absolute good for nothing because he has friends. The whole arc is that he's a piece of shit because he has close friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And by trying to balance his boys. time between the both of them, he is very much in the wrong. But then what happens next is pretty indicative of his shitty behaviour, man. She basically suggests that he can go to Nobog with them if he so desires. And he yeah, but she turns on a fucking dime. Because the minute she's like, my family, my family fucking hate you. You're a fucking piece of shit layabout, no good... And then he's like, I'll come with you. And she's like, okay, I'll tell my father in the morning. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's no big deal. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we get a first indicator of um, Elliot's kind of ropey behavior at this point. Because they were supposed to be leaving at eight. But he's late. Yeah, he's late. Uh, hanging out with those friends. Minutes she issued a pretty clear ultimatum. Yeah, they're done if he's late. And he's an hour and a half late. Um, <laughs> I uh, think that... Um, Again, Michael says the weirdest thing in the car here because she's super upset. She's crying. She's like, oh, we could have waited another 15 minutes. And he said, we left at 9.30, 90 minutes behind schedule and no sign of your beau. <laughs> to which she which replies, he's, he's not my beau. He's my boyfriend. Because beau is like such a 1950s terminology. Like, he's sweet on that beau, eh? <laughs> what do you know about that? <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, got, they set off. Yeah, and she's understandably devastated and the mother thinks what better way to non sequitur out of this awkward conversation where my daughter is visibly very upset that her boyfriend has, has failed her to ask joshua to sing uh yeah and sing row 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 your boat <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a song i like but it do, they do that thing where it's and the, they sing in the round which i think yeah the just... The worst. Yeah, I, I, that's not. It's not a banger, is it? It's not a bop. <laughs> I don't know what I would have expected him to start singing when she was like, "Sing that song I love." I didn't think "Row uh, Your Boat" would have been great if he started singing like "Suddenly" by Billy Ocean or something. Yeah, but I'm assuming they probably weren't going to pay for the rights for that. Well, no, no. I think yeah, I feel like you would stake your house on them going for something public domain. <laughs> but it's quite interesting that they do pick "Row Row Row Your Boat" because obviously "Row Row Your Boat." takes a dark turn in that last line and this film takes several 
very dark turns for no apparent reason. And I feel like that song is quite atypical of this stupid fucking movie that makes, like, no sense. Yeah. Every line doesn't land right. I've got to say, Brad, I think you're reading a lot into the choice of row, row, row your boat here in terms of... There's going to be plenty of these <laughs> where, I'm, where I'm swinging for the fences. <laughs> I was going to say, look, 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 if, if you're not projecting subtext onto things, you've got nothing. I'm going to give you a pass on that. <laughs> Yeah, that's the best I can do. We understand shortly after this why Elliot is late, because he's hatched a plan. Him and his pals have presumably hired a camper van, or one of them has a camper van. And uh, they are going to Nilbog. He's taking his friends to Nilbog under the pretense or the promise of um, sexually liberated women in their droves, which I would say, on the balance of probabilities (laughs) in a population of 26 village, I would say, um, probably not enough to go around. No. (laughs) Not... Not nearly enough, unless they share. Yeah. Which, once again, I wouldn't put it past them, this lot. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. And by the way, all of those guys helpfully colour-coordinated, because with the exception of Elliot, I don't know any of their names, and in my notes, I've just written down the colour of their shirts. Yellow shirt? Yeah, yeah, yellow shirt, blue shirt. <laughs> yeah. uh, helpfully, I don't remember the colours of any of the shirts, but I know all their names. Ah, right, well, Great. let's put our heads together. <laughs> we'll, pe- we'll piece these together. <laughs> Um, I think it's really funny when we cut back to the car and Joshua has a nightmare slash hallucination about turning into a plant and then when he snaps back to reality his mum offers him a snack and rather than it being like classic road snacks like a bag of sweets or crisps or something she just turns around and offers him a burger <laughs> just a whole burger she's been nestling in her handbag lukewarm <laughs> exactly a wee pocket burger there's a lot there of random go. meat just uh, in people's bags in this film where else do you keep your meat random meat in a bag saves the day <laughs> Yeah. I'm always walking around with at least one pepper army in my pocket because you never know. <laughs> exactly. Um, Joshua gets out uh, out of the car to throw up, and we meet Grandpa Seth here, who kind of takes on the harbinger role at this point. To use Cabin of the Woods terminology, he basically tells them that they've got to turn around. They do not. They pass Elliot on the roadside, and then they arrive in Nilbog, where Josh immediately asks to go home. And I think it's fair to say that everything seems a bit out of sorts, pretty much right out of the gate here. Yeah. We're in, we're in like a ghost town thing. It's also important to note that obviously he, uh, Grandpa Seth takes on the appearance of a drifter. Yeah, and then when he snaps back to, yeah, it snaps back to reality. It proves what judgmental dicks this family are because they don't even like speak to the hobo. They just want him away from the hobo, so they drive off. They're not even like, oh, well, sorry, we can't take a, li- we can't take you, blah blah blah. They just continue like continually stare at this guy in abject disgust. Yeah. <laughs> And it just proves that this family is actually quite a piece of shit, if you ask me. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, I don't think that the film ever particularly sells you on any of them being that likeable. Mm. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be what that is. Um, so, Josh, we're pretty much hitting the point, uh, the scene that you mentioned earlier. Uh, they arrive, we meet the family that are taking part in this weird entire family part exchange thing. Um, yeah. They're they're very sinister, um, very very shady, and um, it's at this point as well where Joshua finds the uh, the first of two ominous baseballs in the film uh, with uh, "Eat before yes. we eat you." Right on. Well, that's thrown to him by the son of the presence family, I guess the outgoing family in this house, which is weird that they would give him a heads up like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem logical. But what am I saying? But then <laughs> but we are talking about Joe too. So. Uh, but like, the, if you look very carefully at the uh, the baseball with "Eat before I eat you" or "Before we eat you" and the, and the one that turns up obviously a lot later in the film, it's very apparently written by a glue gun that's then painted in with felt tip. Yep. Yeah. Big time. Hundred percent. So the production value at this point, you know, this is you know Michael Bay level. Yeah. Of like special effects. Yeah. This is the, this is the production <laughs> value we're dealing with here. I was p- um, questioning the level of production value the minute I saw that girl's freckles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, most, it's supposed to make her look otherworldly and ethereal. And what is more ethereal than a woman with brown felt tip pen stabbed into her face? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as we mentioned earlier, they come in here. Uh, some food has been set out. Classic Southern hospitality. Quite the spread. Uh, Grandpa Seth intervenes at this point, uh, catches the attention of young Joshua, tells him that he has to stop them eating at all costs. Someone fucking has to because, like we said earlier, they look like giant scones covered in green toothpaste. And also, uh, nobody bats an eyelid at the fact that the water jug is full of something they call it a weapons-grade plutonium. <laughs> mm. <laughs> It's Mountain Dew. 
but yeah, the remedy for this is uh, during the 30-second stop time that apparently Grandpa Seth can do. That would have come in handy at a couple of other instances. I think it's a one-and-done deal. I think you can only do it once. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah, but he um, he uh, he fishes in the food. and is sent, I was going to say he's sent to bed with no supper, but nobody gets any supper because it's all drenched in urine. <laughs> And it stinks, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so he's obviously very dehydrated. Oh, I mean, um, you can understand Michael's fury off the back of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If you're sitting, if you're all famished and you you snap out of some weird trance that you didn't realise you were all collectively in, to find your son pissing all over the only food you have available to eat, yeah, I'd be pretty. I'd be pretty livid. Agreed. Um, speaking of livid, Elliot's friends are upset at the lack of available horny girls, a disappointment I expect <laughs> to persist in this very small ghost town. It's never going to get any better for them. They've already peaked um, when the they're way, watching TV together. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did anyone notice that they seem to be watching a film that I wanted to watch more than I wanted to continue watching Troll? I didn't uh, clock which... this. What is it? It seemed to be footage of a gorilla that shot into space like a rocket. Yep. No, that does sound good. <laughs> What's this? This is better. You have missed one very, very important scene. Oh, that go on. Intercuts these two after the pissing. Oh you've yeah. Got to talk the, about yeah, Fabulous Fury. You've got. You've, we've got to talk about the the the, the, the most angry scene I, I, in the entire film. Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. What are you going to do to me, Daddy? Tighten my belt by one loop so I don't feel hunger pains. And your sister and mother will have to do likewise. Okay, Joshua, you want to get rough with me? You want to show me that you don't like the choice of this house for our vacation by going on a hunger strike? Well, I'll accept the challenge. But just remember, when I was your age, I really did suffer from hunger. We'll see who gets through this. But just remember, I've got more practice than you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Arnold uh, is the first of Elliot's friends that we get a kind of side story for. Because I feel like most of them get their own kind of like little side quest stories. Uh, he goes mm -hmm. outside, finds an attractive woman, seems to be kind of blind to the fact that she's in a state of some distress. And in what I would describe as an odd piece of courtship, um, rugby tackles <laughs> her. Absolutely takes her out, yeah. <laughs> Got to say, for a girl like her that's running away from something, to then be chased down and wrestled to the ground by another man could be equally worrying for her. It really is the, like the worst of both worlds. She's in a position where it's the goblins or this kind of goblin-looking motherfucker that she's got to deal with, <laughs> and she picks him. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a rock and a hard place thing, really, isn't it? At this point, she, she tells her tale of woe. She's been fed green slime, and she now believes herself to be dying. They look for someone to take cover, and they make an unfortunate choice. They head into this house that looks like a church. From the minute you see inside that house, it's clearly the house of a witch, because it has what appears to be a glowing rock and a bubbling cauldron. Telltale signs. Textbook. Textbook witch. Um, <laughs> the textbook witch in question, Credence Lenore Gilgood. <laughs> or, or um, to, use, to use her full title uh, as she introduces herself, Credence Lenore Gilgood of Ancient Druid Origins. It's good to identify where you're from immediately when you meet new people. Yeah, uh, I, I, I try to give as much lineage, as much information about my lineage as possible when I meet new people. Yeah. Mitch Bain of Peterhead. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Hansen, 116th German on my grandmother's side. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking. Needless to say, uh, they're offered food here and uh, the woman drinks it. Or because she's offered, yeah, it's liquid. And uh, yeah, she drinks it without a word of protest because that's what everyone does, despite the fact that she's already eaten green slime and is suffering some serious side effects. It's holistic sure. broth. It's, it's holistic broth, did you say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what she calls it. <laughs> I didn't realise that. I genuinely thought that was a time you just invented for it. <laughs> no, it's holistic broth and it's all like natural because they're all touting the, the sort of miracle of plants and everything like that uh -huh. and but the the broth itself is kind of bubbling like a cauldron mm -hmm. yes yeah yep. thing is though if you went to marco pierre white's restaurant you'd eat that because you'd think it was some kind of magical foam that he's put on top of it yeah, yeah some molecular gastronomy um, exactly it's worth mentioning at this point that uh, th this broth is proffered up in lieu of a medical professional given that arnold has been impaled by a goblin spear yeah <laughs> 
very, very important to note that he is potentially mortally wounded at this <laughs> yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, 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 yeah, we actually, yeah, we shouldn't blow past that. Actually, we shouldn't, we shouldn't let all of the new details and new characters um, cloud the fact that yeah, he is bleeding profusely from a giant hole in his shoulder. <laughs> Which he takes like a fucking champ, to be fair. He really does, doesn't he? Yeah, like, he kind of does it with minimal fuss. Like, he gives it a scream, obviously, because you would. But Mm -hmm. after that, he's kind of chill about the whole affair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. I would say that he, st- he steals himself to it pretty well. Stoic. Stoic. Yeah, exactly. Now the girl. I don't know if she ever gets a name. I'm unsure. She uh, drinks the holistic broth and starts convulsing and undergoing a fairly familiar transformation. Uh, one that we have seen in the opening in the kind of opening sequence. She basically turns into a giant plant that is then feasted upon by the goblins. Arnold is immobilized, and what I would say is probably the most famous scene in this film happens here. Correct. Yeah, I think I might just put the audio in the episode. I think that you should. I don't think that there's any way... No, that... I don't think we can do it justice. I totally agree. I don't think that there's any way that we can describe it that would, uh, that would do it justice. I think we have, to, we, have, we have to play it. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. then well yeah meanwhile back at the ranch uh holly has a little dance to herself in a sequence that feels like it takes a wee while <laughs> want to get good <laughs> i just feel uh, like excuse me it starts off good she starts off with classic finger goggles you know you're in for something good here um and then mm. she dances for a long time she's very aggressive she's a very aggressive young woman i think and uh that's illustrated perfectly in her jagged dance moves yeah She's got some moves. If you could turn them into violent karate maneuvers in little to no effort, but she, you know, we've already seen her training. She looks like she's maybe looking over to take the family business of being a contract killer, which I've read into. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. But did this scene remind you at all of um, Elm Street 2, Freddy's Dead, with the pop gun? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether they're, they're meant... Like I, I, I wouldn't give Claudio the credit to do a homage um <laughs> but it reminds me a lot it reminds me a lot of uh of the dance scene from elm street 2 yeah i i think just just because uh brad just because you've set yourself such an impossible task here i think that any time that you spot something like that i'm just going to install it as the truth because i think you really need the points is this a points based system? no not really like it's just <laughs> yeah. a figure of speech thank god yeah. <laughs> um, she after after she's danced for a bit, presumably to psych herself up for this. She looks at herself in the mirror, gets ready, uh, prepares herself to give Elliot the ultimatum, kind of one that we've already re- kind of seen her do. But she's getting ready to kind of like firm that up, reaffirm it, talking about whether or not she's or he's going to choose her or his friends. At this point, uh, Grandpa Seth does the spectral equivalent of dialing the wrong number and appears in her room looking for Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have to watch her dancing? Because that's fucking weird. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good. That's embarrassing for everyone. Yeah. He's like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, wrong room. <laughs> wrong mirror. <laughs> but I love the fact that Joshua even calls him out on it. It's like, you went in the wrong room, dickhead. And he's like, sorry, I've got to le- learn the layout of this house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new house, Joshua. I've already been haunting your old house. This is the new one. <laughs> it's really funny that he's just stumbling around like a dick from mirror to mirror, just desperately trying to find the right mirror. I imagine he walks, he goes to the wrong mirror and he catches a, his his daughter, you know, boning. Oh. That would be no good, would it? They didn't put that in the film, unfortunately. That would have been funny. <laughs> that, that would have been very funny. Wrong mirror. <laughs> oh! <laughs> been banging on the mirror like, hey, hey get your hands off her. That's my daughter. <laughs> so she goes and she goes and alerts Michael, our father, to the fact that Grandpa Seth is there. I love the fact that Michael at this point is just demonstrably sick of everyone's shit. <laughs> oh yeah, can't wait to fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> he's done. Wouldn't you be? Ah uh, yeah, but yeah, he's he's storms up. Obviously, by this point, Grandpa Seth has vanished from the mirror. At this point, which I don't understand. What I, I I don't know if he has control over when and where he leaves places. I don't know what he has to gain from being gone by the time they come back because he's not a malevolent spirit. He's he's trying to do good. Yeah, but it'd be all too easy to like let the family in on the big secret. We've got to have some conflict. 
So Mitch, you're saying just uh, for Grandpa could just like hover around in the mirror like Zordon out of Power Rangers, just always there. Kinda. Um, but yeah, I guess that um, uh, it fits better for them to not believe them until it's almost too late. Um, so uh, yeah, so I do understand that. At this point, though, Seth departs, vows to return, and um, yeah, there's no food in the house, just loads of weird Nilbog milk. I've got to be honest, see curdled milk like that, it's a big trigger for me. I have a really mad reflex when it comes to sour, like anything that's gone sour. That mm. is the thing I struggle with most in this whole film, is when you see that milk glugging out. That's the most blood curdling. Yeah, yeah, I well, yeah, and if you had to, I don't think you had to use the word curdle in there, given my story was uh, but, very insensitive. Uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> but yeah, it really turns my stomach. Well, at least it's got some kind of visceral reaction out of you, even if it's entirely un- unintentional. Yeah. We get another um, we get another side quest for one of uh, Elliot's friends here. I will get the name. Yellow Shirt. Yellow Shirt. Yeah, okay. That's the one. That's his name, Mr. Y Shirt. Yeah, he gets a lift into town. He's heading into town. He gets a lift into town from... I had to double check this. Uh, Sheriff Gene Freak. Correct. Of the Montreal <laughs> Freaks. <laughs> you posited the name Y Shirt as if it was silly. Yeah. <laughs> He's on his way in here, and um, like a good freak does, um, hospitably offers him another insanely coloured sandwich. Southern hospitality. Green, green sandwiches, which again, he uh, eats without <laughs> a word of uh, a word of objection or question. Uh, he gets into town. Right, I have a question, and I feel like now might be as good a time as any to ask it. So this guy is dropped into town. I feel like his name is maybe Drew, but we'll get to it. So he's visibly struggling. He's feeling the effects of uh, the green sandwich filling. He's uh, starting to just have little green speckles of chlorophyll sweat on his brow, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So he goes to get coffee and eggs, and a hilarious like Stetson-wearing shopkeeper tells him that coffee is a devil's drink and that everyone in Nilbog are vegetarians. Mm-hmm. So Nilbog is basically presented through this entire piece as being this town that is basically full of these kind of malevolent or evil goblin people like yes. that's like basically the entire population yeah and not to uh jump ahead but are, are ultimately beaten by the power of a double-decker bologna sandwich is this an anti-vegetarian propaganda film yes is that a thing like is that like is like like yeah. is that established yeah the writer in the document in best worst movie says that all her friends were turning vegetarian at the time and she fucking hated it <laughs> so this is a big fuck you to all of that seriously correct that's yep. true it's true it's true amazing okay cool i'm glad looking at the I never spot subtext, but I don't think it's even really subtext here. It's just text, isn't it? Oh, this is text. It's kind of like an unringable bell as well. Like once you notice it, it all reads as snark. <laughs> yeah. We jump back yeah. to Credence's place at this point. Arnold is turning into a tree. He is like rooted to the spot in a plant pot with kind of a <laughs> plant or tree kind of a characteristics spurting over him. Apparently, to make sure that he stayed in the same place for the entire time, his shoes were screwed into the plant pot and he had to stand there for 14 hours. Yeah, horrible. That is also correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's abuse. And they were his shoes. They ruined his shoes. <laughs> That's the that's the real crime here. At this point, I wrote down, "How are we not halfway through?" Yeah, that's about half an hour. Yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, like I I mean, obviously the story moves a lot quicker kind of after this point, but I couldn't believe that there was like fifty five minutes left of this at this point. There's a lot to get through. See, I never got that in this when I was watching it there, and I, there wasn't a mo. I know we do a lot of films, Mitch, where there's a point where we look at the time and we're like, "Holy shit, we've only been watching this for half an hour." Like, there's still ninety minutes left to go. But I never got that during this at all. I actually thought that it moved at a decent pace. It's just when you're scratching your head so much about like every single you're at, you're at analyzing every word of dialogue and every directorial choice that it becomes quite taxing <laughs> and you're just like why why are they doing this why has he done this why has he chosen to do that and that takes up a lot of cognitive headspace yeah I, and time is relative I, I agree i think that yeah i think it's got it's maybe got something to do with the amount of mental bandwidth that was taken up it's a, it's a tough one to well, it's it's a bizarre one because the first time i watched this film I was enraptured with it. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off it. Like, runtime was not an issue. But on subsequent viewings, once you know the beats of the film and how the film is going to go, that's when you start to feel it because you're like, fuck, we're only there. <laughs> like, there's so much more <laughs> weird shit to come. Um, yeah. At this point, Slowest Horse finally crosses the finish line. Joshua realizes that Nilbog is goblin backwards. Finally. I, someone's got I it. I love the fact that this is painted as a reveal. <laughs> It's like, it shows utter contempt for your audience. 
<laughs> you fucking morons. You wouldn't get this, would you? Mitch, I'm going to counter your uh, slowest horse comment because actually Joshua was the first one to get this. I guess so, I guess so. Yeah, there are there are slower horses in this race. Uh, at this point, Credence goes to the house, introduces herself to the weight, inevitably with a weird green cake. At this point, we've got Joshua trying to figure out what's going on and get to the bottom of it. And in a scene that kind of reminds me of uh, the witches, he's watching, yeah, this, yeah, okay. he's watching this meeting happen kind of through a hole in the roof. These people are being sermonized by a guy who the credits, I think, calls Bells. Is, is, he, is he kind of like a, is he like a, is he like a high priest or is he what? He kind of looks like a preacher, but yeah, he, he looks like the Incredible Hulk if he grew a beard and wasn't green. <laughs> yeah, he's got hell of a presence, doesn't he? There's a he? lot of caveats there, but that's, that's yeah, that's uh, what he reminds me of, bless him. Yeah, so militantly pro-vegetarian speech here um, given to ripples of approval. Uh, from the Nobog town people, I would say that everyone in town is there. I would say that there must be 26 people in that room. <laughs> yeah, we're a, we're, it, it's a town hall meeting. Uh, interesting you said the witches as well. The witches came out uh, or was shot a year after. So if anything, the witches rips off Troll That's, 2. It was Nicholas Rogue's uh, Troll 2 homage. Exactly. He was like, I've run out of ideas after Walkabout. I'll just ape Troll 2. Yeah, because what else? Um, however, there were 26 people in that room. There's now 27. They have found Joshua. He's about to be force-fed ice cream. <laughs> Michael, to his credit, rushes to Joshua's aid, and despite some pretty compelling evidence, uh, more or less agrees that his son is crazy and acting out. A fair assessment, really. I mean, this kid's proven t- from the, the very beginning to be a troublemaker. I mean, he's pissed on the food. That's a pretty dickish behavior because mm. michael's not aware of seth or any of that and doesn't believe any of that so to him it's just his son being a little prick again yeah yeah that's true i think so that they, yeah like it's kind of like it's like a pattern of erratic behavior isn't it yeah <laughs> all about mourning the death of your grandfather this entire film <laughs> yeah it's all about loss and separation anxiety rumination on loss lovely <laughs> <laughs> at this point we're like the exchange family are still here. They've said that they're leaving that evening. Car trouble. Yep, car trouble. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has a story about that. We're kind of, they kind of pull the protagonist back together at this point, kind of setting up for where this is ultimately going to go because uh, Michael and Joshua go to find Holly. She is having an argument with Elliot. Elliot comes with them. The, and She punch, She walks up to Elliot here to confront him, presumably all amped up from her practice session the night before and forgetting about the exchange she had with her dead grandfather. She rocks up here, demands to his face that he abandons his friends comes with her and just to put the full stop on her point she punches him she's been training for this the whole film i don't know why you're surprised <laughs> as we've established he's a cuck 100 percent. i can confirm at this point uh, just f- from my notes i can confirm that yellow shirt is called drew thanks because he uh, stumbles also into credence's uh, house which uh, every lost soul and waifs and strays seems to turn up at when they can't find anywhere else um he finds tree arnold at this point uh arnold tries to get him to free him but uh, credence comes back she trims arnold with a chainsaw in a really really strange sequence yeah it's tickly apparently <laughs> with horticulture it's important to maintain bush integrity <laughs> <laughs> so sure. she is just being a good horticulturalist at that point <laughs> Uh, and we shouldn't read any more into it. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's just it's a, it's a strictly just a it's a it's an upkeep question. Do you know what looks preposterous? See when he's trying to drag that massive terracotta pot along the floor, with Arnold trying to remain upright in it, like trying to desperately lock his knees so that he doesn't <laughs> tip over and break his fucking ankles, which are <laughs> bolted onto the fucking plant pot. Like that's very silly. There's also a great bit in Best Worst Movie where he says that he he had a mouth guard piece that kind of covered his mouth because the kid was complaining about standing up for 14 hours in the makeup. So he made him wear the mouth guard so he wouldn't complain anymore. <laughs> Tell that to SAG Afra, they'll love that. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's wild. Michael and Joshua return home with uh, Holly and Elliot at this point, and um, in a move that is not suspicious at all under present circumstances and based on the evidence thus far as presented, all the Nobogians have thrown them a surprise party by way of apology for the misunderstanding earlier on. Uh, needless to say, um, I, the main thing actually, the main thing that creeps me out here, apart from the fact that it's just it's just a very creepy party, really, isn't it? Uh, is the fact that none of them can clap on beat. <laughs> 
That's white people for you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like that scene in the jerk. No ribbon. Some white ass goblins. By the way, Mitch, uh, well done for writing Nilborgians. I, I had a moment where I was trying to figure out what I was going to refer to the citizens of Nilborg as, and I wrote Nilborgians. What else could it be? Nilborgians. Nilborgians? Nah, Nilborgians works yeah, for me. Yeah, okay, that's cool. But in that case, let's just install it as canon. That's fine. Who's going who's gonna to argue? <laughs> <laughs> well, Claudio Fregasso might, because he's been uh, quite open about people's opinions on this film. Oh, really? Yeah, he still doesn't like the fact that uh, this film uh, is considered a bit of a joke. In fact, I believe he interrupted a couple of screenings um, and heckled the Q and A. Really? Yeah, that's in the, that's in best worst movie. He's just like, you people don't fucking get this. <laughs> You're laughing in the wrong places. Oh my god, that's magic. <laughs> So it's like Tommy Wiseau without the show. I was going to say because like I mean, he didn't do a Tommy Wiseau then and try to retrofit it as a comedy. No. Oh, I see. No. He stands by his vision. I'm waiting for Danzig to do that. Fucking Verotica. Oh Christ. Joshua still won't let up with the goblin chat here. Uh Michael is uh, once again at the absolute fucking end of his rope and who can blame him? Um again he sends him to bed. Uh he looks for Grandpa Seth. No Grandpa Seth, but we do have a goblin bursting forth from the mirror. Hmm. Yeah. Um... How did it get there? Yeah. <sighs> Well, he's looking in the mirror and he's trying to summon Grandpa Seth, but what he actually seems to do is summon Credence, and I don't know if she maybe sends a goblin out at him. Maybe she she hijacked the frequency. <laughs> That's the only logical explanation. Yeah, you, you know what? You're right. That is logical. I'm happy with it. I like the fact that now we're just going to talk about like the after the afterlife and communicating with spirits and stuff like that is basically like some kind of like interdimensional CB radio. Yeah, it's like that film Frequency with Dennis Quaid. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, hi. <laughs> and it seems to be quite easy because later on what we get is a young man skillfully handling a seance. I don't know where he learned how to do that. No. See, just like uh, when... Because the seance is coming up really quick, like really soon. But um, I want—I just want to help with something. I was—I <laughs> was watching this, and um, it's just—it's just I—I I looked down to write something, and when I looked up, Credence was missing a hand. Can I ask what happened? So what happens is after the goblin comes out of the mirror and starts attacking Joshua, Grandpa Seth does appear uh, with an axe and chops off the hand of the goblin, which is an embodiment of Credence. Right. Okay. So. When the hand gets chopped off, hers does. And then there's an amazing thing of, like, the goblin fucking off. And he turns in like, Grandpa Seth! And he doesn't say a fucking word. He just does that smile that he recreates about five times in this film. Where he just smiles at him but doesn't say a single yeah. fucking word. He doesn't say a word, but then what he does is an incredibly stupid thing to do and hand a child a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> he does but he's got a fire extinguisher so like safety first don't know where that came from either yeah that could have blew up in that child's hand like it could have blew up in his hand like a wayward firework and emulated the child rather than the goblin seth's not taking the rap though because the family don't think he exists he's got nothing to lose is he? <laughs> perfect crime yeah like like the, the stakes basically couldn't be lower for seth yeah his heart's really not in this at any point because he's tried and tried I say he's tried. He's been deliberately vague the entire time about what's going on, what he's supposed to do. But at the same time, if if the child immolates, he immolates. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> then they can hang out in heaven. Yeah. Uh, and he seems that all he wants to do is hang out with his grandkid anyway. So well, granddad's, in, granddad's in hell. Yeah, he is in hell, isn't he? For now. I wonder why he was in hell. I wonder what he did to go to hell. Just about to ask. Yeah. Him. <laughs> Peering out the mirrors at his dancing granddaughter. (laughs) I can't really do Seth's voice, but yeah. That'll do, that grunt will do. It's fucking gross. (laughs) So yeah, the reason that they um, they turn up brandishing a fire extinguisher because safety first and a Molotov cocktail is because they are off to stop the party before uh, anyone eats anything. Seems like a fairly extreme reaction, but I'm sure it would get the job done. Do you want to mention the fact that at this point when they're standing outside, the priest, again, bells, apparently, according to the uh, little Amazon overlay thing. Bells. Um, uh, he banishes Grandpa Seth briefly. Um, uh, it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very brief banishment. He's back in like five minutes. But um, he banishes him with what I believe is a direct quote, by the sacred power of the magic stone, he banishes him back to his kingdom of shadows, which really, really sounds like sorcery word association. It's also like the most evocative image in the entire film. A kingdom of shadows. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, he gets those weird Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk eyes. 
Yes, he does. He does. They go weird green colour. Gamba Seth will not go quietly. He is banished to the Kingdom of Shadows um, for a 10-minute hiatus. (laughs) But before he goes, he does conjure a lightning bolt that uh, strikes bells and burns him alive and reduces him back to his uh, original goblin form. The townspeople, understandably, are furious. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. Uh, can I just go back and say, by the way, at this point, Credence is understandably outraged that she's had her hand chopped off, but she regenerates it by jabbing it into the glowing crevice. That's how anyone would regenerate anything, isn't it? Find a growing crevice and shove it in there. <laughs> Freaks is furious at this point. I think he's like, uh, he was our friend and you killed him. Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, uh, he's furious. This is when Michael finally gets on the fucking, oh, these people are troll strain. It takes him literally being confronted with the corpse of a goblin. <laughs> and even then, I'm not entirely sure he sold them the idea. <laughs> Elsewhere, Credence is conjuring something or, something or other at this point. She's quite disheveled looking, and uh, the first thing yeah. that whatever it is that she's conjuring seems to do is uh, fix her makeup and do her hair. I think it's a, a, a great success because she invokes this ancient magic, which somehow also turns day into night. Um, and turns her, yeah. I would say, objectively hot. She basically queerized herself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's important at this point because it makes what comes up in a minute that bit more believable because if she was the way we've known her up until now, I don't know if this next bit would have worked quite as well. I don't know, those lads were pretty fucking horny. So Credence, in her new kind of like queer-eyed, sexy form, turns her attentions to the last remaining one of Elliot's friends, who... Uh, it's called Brent, by the way. Right. Um, he's he's chilling know. out um, by himself in the camper, uh, not troubling himself too much with the fact that all of his friends are missing. And he turns on the TV to see uh, Credence dancing provocatively in the forest while holding an ear of corn. Yes. <laughs> the music sounds weirdly like uh, you can leave your hat on. It does. <laughs> this is also aggressively unsexy. Oh yeah, like offensively unsexy. <laughs> I think it's really it's 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 so funny. I think like I genuinely think this is absolutely hilarious because like they're trying so hard to sell you on this being sexy, and she's really attractive, and she's wearing this like like really provocative underwear and stuff like that. But she's like the fact that she's holding a unicorn and she keeps caressing it and kind of side eyeing him and stuff like that just makes the whole thing absolutely fucking preposterous. Quite a phallic symbol, the ear of corn. In a way, it's like two decades ahead of the aubergine emoji. <laughs> it's made just that little bit weirder when they actually start i, I don't know are they, are they kissing but with a cob in between their teeth are they eating the cob gotta be honest with you lady in the tramp's sexier right someone check his hard drive yeah i was gonna say that tells me all i need to know but yeah so but as you say they they start kind of kissing except that they're both eating their corn on the cob that's wedged between their mouths popcorn starts popping in all directions <laughs> powerful metaphor I, I posted this on my Instagram story, this scene, with no context. I didn't tell anyone what I was watching. Obviously, real ones, no. But uh, I got six messages from people needing to know what that film was. <laughs> I can understand that. This film has obviously got some kind of hook to it, but that scene out of context makes no sense. Not a job. But uh, when they say, like, the po- she's like, he's like, oh, I really like corn. She's like, all we've got to do is heat it up. And I think he says, I like popcorn, all we've got to do is heat it up. Then they start kissing slash eating. Now, am I right in saying that this guy doesn't actually die? Because he seems to wake up the next day and he's just, like, under a mountain of popcorn. It's it seems- we never get a payoff, do we? I don't think so. I th- like, like, like I say, I, I think that the last we see of him is him emerging from uh, a massive pile of popcorn. Are we also then to assume that it's post-coital? Where did that corner of the cob go? <laughs> where, where did it not go? It came Jesus. out very buttered. <laughs> um, Actually, butter helps. Last tango in Paris. Um, uh, last tango in Nilbog. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Back to the seance at this point, it is not working. The townspeople are descending outside as well. Um, they maintain the seance despite the hail of gunfire. Uh, from Officer Freak's gun. It's not working because he's a 10-year-old boy trying to conduct a seance. Well, yeah. God loves a trier. He sure does. And ultimately, to be fair, Grandpa Seth does return. Uh, One of my favourite, just kind of like, very, very slight, but quite funny continuity errors. He's like, oh, um, we have 10 minutes. I will start to disappear when the clock strikes six. 
and the then cuts to the clock and it's clearly five to six. <laughs> I never noticed that one. Good spot. In the overall scheme of things, it's, it's like pretty trifling, but I did notice it. <laughs> Uh, at this point, Mitch, the house is beset by goblins and uh, Michael decides now's the time to really step up and fight for his family and he beats the shit out of those children or little people, whoever's in those costumes. He throws them down the stairs, he kicks them, punches them, launches them through the air. It's quite funny. It's very funny. <laughs> I mean, this is the the action scene. This is This is as close to action, I would say, that we ever get. Bear in mind at this point, you we have we've got to remember that during the standoff between the seance and that when all the villagers are outside, he throws some sandwiches at the door <laughs> and says, Here are some sandwiches. It'd be better if you eat them. <laughs> because we don't want you tainting the meat or something. He's he's basically like, if you don't eat these, it'll make you taste shitter, basically is what he's saying. It's like <laughs> Yeah, they're loving the sandwiches at the door. It seems to be like this really bizarrely off-the-wall way to do it. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. Effectively. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Joshua escapes uh, from the maelstrom here, um, and he rendezvous with Grandpa Seth at Credence's place. Um, and fight- Oh, no, no, no. That's an, a gross oversimplification, Mitch. He's well there. Oh, sorry. That's silly of me. Yeah, he, he's presumably somehow sucked there through the ether. Is that what that is? He comes out through the fanny, doesn't he? The, the bubbling fanny. <laughs> yep. Uh. <laughs> I believe that's what it's referred to in the folklore. Seth gives Joshua the secret weapon in a classic, when the time comes, you'll know. Really funny. Uh, which 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 we'll get to because it's the it's the stupidest fucking thing. Uh, back to the house. Things don't look good. Elliot uh, pleads for diplomacy with the goblins. <laughs> yeah, he shows his flimsiness quite quickly here. He's he's screaming, "Go away, monsters!" While trying to be Switzerland and be neutral in this, in this whole affair. I'm sure we can broker some kind of peace treaty. <laughs> Yeah, there's like um yeah, I think it's it's a really weird juncture for him to be like, uh, why can't we just use our words? Come on, guys. At this point, all of the goblins suddenly vanish and literally no one bats an eyelid. Well, this is in the aftermath of the uh popcorn fiasco. Um whatever happens here, I, I can't remember the exact kind of chain of events here, but when Joshua wakes up in Credence's house, him and Grandpa Seth decide that what they need to do to beat this force that is credence is to put their hands on the stone so they do that something happens to her and she gets all old again but yeah she screams in a state of some distress i think you'll agree mitch Ah. um and obviously the goblins are receptive to that and they decide fuck she's in trouble we need to go and save her uh yeah it seems that way it seems like she's hitting a panic button of sorts (laughs) seth has to go um, at this point credence throws joshua to the goblins right after seth departs saying that only the power of good will defeat the goblins. To double back on the anti-vegetarian propaganda thing, lest we forget at this point that the power of good is a double-decker bologna sandwich. Also, by the way, extremely harsh sign-off from Grandad when he says, goodbye forever. (laughs) Bye, prick. (laughs) I never liked you! It's going to be resolved in five minutes if you'd eaten that fucking sandwich. But no, (laughs) we had to do this the hard way. Again, see, see if I was um, if if I was Joshua and uh, Grandpa Seth uh, handed me the sandwich and was like, "This will do the trick," I'd be like, "Have you had that this whole time? Why didn't you just give that to me before we left?" <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he eats the sandwich, which um, horrifies them all mm, due to the uh, fat and cholesterol content. Yeah, rings absolute shrieks of uh, horror and disdain. Because those vegetarians are sensitive types, aren't they? Uh, yeah, in this universe, oh, uh, they are sensitive goblins, apparently. Well, the whole family turn up in time to collaboratively destroy the magic stone with uh, Joshua at this point. Yeah, Joshua spends a lot of the final minutes of this film just screaming, concentrate over and over and over, but there's no context in what you're supposed to be concentrating on. This is obvious, isn't it, really, when you think about it? They're supposed to concentrate on the connection of the familial unit against the forces of evil, be that satan or in this case vegetarian trolls uh, goblins 
Goblins, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't say the T word. No, there's, there's no fucking reason why he's saying concentrate other than he needs to be saying something at this point, and that seemed like a logical thing for him to say. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, ex- that's, that's exactly what that is. That's exactly what that is. Is This film's use the force. The power of his screams, though, are not to be kind of underestimated because they are as massively successful. And uh, yeah, it causes goblins to melt. It causes one goblin's eye to repetitively shoot out. It's a gag they like so much that they just had to keep repeating it. (laughs) Yeah, I get the impression they figured out how to do that once and then they just rinsed it because they already liked it. Uh, Goblins defeated at this point. Goblins and Credence defeated. It's time for everyone to go home. Presumably everything's going to be fine at this point. Uh, they get back. Mom and Joshua are the first two to get home. Diane sits down, <laughs> takes a takes a mighty bite out of a fucking enormous apple. Did you notice that um, Michael's first priority is when they get they pull up in the car outside the house, and he's like, "Right, I've got to go to work." He needs to make sure that somebody took care of that business. Yeah, is the Prime Minister of Ukraine still breathing? Because <laughs> if not, I'm going to Minsk, and he's fucking <laughs> he's fucking done for. <laughs> Joshua goes upstairs to take a nap, which is fair enough. He's had a big couple of days, but then just gets an inkling that all is not as it seems. Sure. Yeah. Bring it on home, Mitch. Well, he's quite right, isn't he? Things just aren't sitting quite right. Gets back up out of bed. Dad and Holly both still aren't home at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Holly maybe uh, shacking up at Elliot's. And, um, That's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. And uh, Michael out there in the top seat every world, the contract killing. But yeah, she, uh, Joshua comes back downstairs to find that much in the style of, I believe it was Drew earlier, he, uh, Arnold, sorry, no, it was Drew, it was Drew. Uh, she has been turned into a giant plant and is being feasted upon by the goblins who have found a way to follow them back home. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a trifle unnecessary to see the mother's breasts. They were generous, though. <laughs> You've got a set of cannons on her. <laughs> and uh, with that, we're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, I like to say I can't believe that it has um it's taken us this long to cover Troll Two. I am very glad that we did it with you, um, because you're obviously a passionate advocate for the film, while also having a healthy appreciation of the various ways that it is dreadful. Oh and... yeah, like <laughs> it's a five star film in the loosest sense of the word. If you're looking at just pure enjoyment or pure engagement of a movie, it's a five-star movie. Yep. If you're looking at it from a technical level, it's a one-star film. Like, it's awful. Yeah, I wouldn't split hairs with you on either of those two points. Yeah, but it's just, it's like the room in in, in that, I hate that hole so bad, it's good, Kredos, but it, it's just, it, it can't, ex- it, it, it will never be replicated. That film exists and that is it. There's nothing before or after it, it's just Troll 2. I think as well, I mean, like what you're saying about the so bad it's good thing there, it's not so much that that as a mentality or that as a way to discuss films and stuff like that bothers me as much as I think that it's overused. I think that people say it's so bad it's good about too many things. Yeah, because they're afraid to say they like something that's maybe not as popular as it should be. Exactly. Um, and I think that, that, and I think that the, yeah, my, my kind of like, my kind of the thing about that term that bothers me is more that. Mm, that it should but, only be reserved for special occasions, special yeah. moments in cinema. Yeah, and I think that it's fair to say that Troll 2 is one of those. Yeah, but- yeah I actually think it's a bit reductive to use the so bad it's good thing or uh, even guilty pleasure. I, I, I've i never subscribed to that. I just think certain things have got a charm that kind of transcends that. And I, I feel that Troll 2 does. I feel that films like The Room do. Yeah, there's a reason that these films have kind of lasted, whereas other but just plain bad films have disappeared. There's something beyond just, it's really bad, so it must be brilliant. Yeah, definitely. So we agree. That's good. Always nice. Yeah, go watch Troll 2. I thought you were going to give me a harder time than that. I've got away with this quite easy. I thought you were going to grill me. To be honest, Brad, I can't really say too much to you about this because I absolutely love this film. I've Like you, I've loved it since I first saw it. I, didn't, I only saw it off the back of Reputation. And now I'm 100% on board. I've seen it in cinemas. I own the same Eureka box set that you posted on Twitter the other day. I love it. And yeah, it fills me with joy. And it makes me laugh every time. I notice new stuff every single time I watch it. And it's just, you, you said it yourself, Mitch. It's a joy. So it did. Brad, before we finish up, anything uh, going on on your end that you want to talk about? Not a lot, really. I, I, I should be on Projections Podcast soon with Mary Wald and Sarah Cleaver. They look at like, Freudian psychoanalysis and horror. 
So I'm going to so, uh, so much in the same vein as this then. Very much. <laughs> Water off a duck's back after this. Uh, I'm going to be fucking drowning on that one when they start going into texts. And but you know I will uh, I will blag my way through it. And then uh, I should be doing some stuff with Mike on Patreon because we're in the middle of a break between seasons. Sure, yeah. We just wrapped the occult season. Body and Mind is going to start in October-ish time. But yeah, I'll be over doing some stuff on our Patreon channel for that. Evolution of Horror Facebook Live quiz last night, which was real fun. I believe one of my pictures got featured in it, where I had to recreate a movie scene with just what is in my house at the moment. <laughs> and Brad, where can people get you social media-wise? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at HadBranson. <laughs> and you can follow me on Letterboxd for all my horrible takes at splatter patter great uh brad this has been a blast thanks so much for doing this yeah i know i really appreciate you guys inviting me on uh big fan of the podcast so nice to finally get it on the board cool yeah no worries boys thanks very much for inviting me Yeah, no worries man take it easy we finally went to nilborg we did go to nilborg yeah that's that that's done Big thank you to Evolution of Horrors, Brad Hansen, for joining us and finally someone taking the plunge and picking Troll 2. I'm really glad we've, we've finally got Troll 2 in the bag. And I've got to be honest with you, Mitch, not just in the bag, but there's a kind of out-of-the-way aspect to it as well. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's done. It's not hanging over yeah. us anymore. We've done it. It's been addressed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Has, yeah. And, a, and, and a lot of fun as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you talk about Troll 2 and it not be fun? Exactly. But I guess with that, we're just about done for episode 97. But fear not, we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode for you. All the usual stuff there. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at whatever 90s stuff I've been digging <laughs> up. Also, we'll be taking a look at your feedback, playing Mitch's pitches, and letting you know everything you need to know about next week's episode, which is going to be another really interesting one, I think, as we hurtle towards triple things. Oh my god, I can't believe how close it's getting. I'm getting a little bit nervous. Yeah, we should probably make some plans for that. <laughs> yeah, we should uh, really get our finger out. I mean, are we going to do something big? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of feel like um, it's difficult to do something particularly large-scale under present circumstances. But let's just, yeah, let's let's figure it out this yeah, week. Yeah, that party we were planning's uh, in the bin. Yeah, that's going to have to wait, yeah. If you want to get in touch with us between now and Monday, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email scenes at gmail.com. Yeah, of course, and why not hop on and check out our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can find links to all the places that you can listen to us. You can find links to our public page... Oh yeah, on the subject of our T public page, we have some ideas for something that we're potentially going to try. It's also potentially a fair amount of work, but uh, I think it might be quite fun. But yeah, you can also find out live dates as and when they're announced, and that's not going to be anytime soon, but they're coming. Sure are. We're back on Monday with Minisode 98. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 